Iowa fans, you are probably becoming more and more excited about this season. I've got to say that I'm becoming more and more intrigued by the week. One huge step down in the quest to win the Big Ten Western Division Championship, and who knows, beyond that, Iowa Hawkeyes live right here at the Voice of College Football. Corey Brad is here from the Hawkeye of the Storm, where you can get your Iowa football coverage each and every day. Corey, how are you today? Doing good, Mark. I'm I'm in a very positive mood, and I'm going to be coming to my Hawkeyes defense on a couple of things. I heard a segment with you the other day, and I've got a bone to pick. Oh, we don't, have, we don't have to pick it right away, but uh, I uh, actually had a chance to watch the Iowa-Wisconsin game back. I did go up. To, I know I told you Friday night I wasn't going to Madison. That changed. I ended up going up to Madison. So I was able to watch the game back on television today uh, for the first time, and, and I was impressed with a number of things. So I'm looking forward to this show, and I know we got Daniel House, uh, who will be jumping on with us to talk Minnesota and the Gophers. So, uh, yeah, whatever you want to start with, we got a lot. Unfortunate news today confirmed regarding Eric All. Maybe we should start there. Yeah, let's start there, because Eric All has obviously been a huge portion of this offense, uh, was expected to be from the outset, but especially with the uh, injury to Luke Lachey and now Eric All. Well, there's no question the passing game is if anybody missed it, he's out. He's, he's got tore ACL. He's done. So uh, terrible news. Um, it's amazing. We talk about the passing game and how how bad it has been. And, and you have to – I mean, it is fair to say, Mark, that when Luke Lachey went down, he was clearly their top receiver, even though he's a tight end. Now Eric All has went down. He was clearly their top receiver when he went down. He's tight end. And their number one quarterback went down with a with a season-ending injury. So those are facts. Now, the, the passing game still needs to be better. Nobody's debating that. But the way they played Saturday, and by the way, well wishes to Eric All. He's got a year left. I've had people ask me, hey, could he come back next year? Sure, he could. He's got a year left because he played during COVID. I was injured early last year, which counted as his redshirt year. Uh, I don't know that he could even file for a, a medical hardship waiver to get two years, but he has at least one year back if he wants it. I think he's going to be on draft boards, but with the ACL injury, how, how will that affect him? Because he was really good when he was healthy this year. So w- well wishes to him, and I hope they can get Addison to string back this week. That's going to be a big storyline to follow. The, the sophomore from, uh, I think it's Sun Prairie, Wisconsin, young man who I was high on coming out of high school and worked his way into some playing time last year as a true freshman. He's their number one guy at tight end if he's healthy. And Steven Stilianos was the number one guy on Saturday. Johnny Pascuzzi got some playing time. And then true freshman Zach Ortworth, who's impressed the coaches in, in fall camp and throughout the uh, summer, he is now playing uh, number 48. And we saw him actually in on that big run, that touchdown run from LaShawn Williams. So the great news is, Mark, they've had the, the – I shouldn't say the great news. The bad news is they've had a lot of injuries at tight end. The good news is the injuries have come at tight end because it is the deepest position uh, on the Iowa offense. I think if we're looking at you know injuries coming at a tailback even, I mean, they've had a couple of injuries, certainly not season-ending. I'd be more concerned. I don't want to see what we saw against Penn State where you basically have LaShawn Williams and then a bunch of true freshmen behind him. So thankfully, it looks like they're rounding into health there. And, um, you know, offensive line is starting to click, so you don't want injuries there. They have stayed pretty healthy. Knock on wood, that's the one position, Mark. Had a couple of guys dinged up here and there. Bo Stevens was down at one point. Uh, Connor Colby, I think, was down at one point. For the most part, they've been healthy. And the line finally looked good on Saturday. 
And that it's been a while since we've been able to say that collectively. They looked good on Saturday. They, they looked good in pass pro. They looked good in the run game. And that's really my bone to pick with you, Mark, because I listened to your your little segment you published with your caller, and you made a comment, and I don't have the quote written down, but you made a comment that Iowa's run game really didn't do anything minus the 80-some-yard touchdown run from LaShawn Williams. And I've got some numbers to share with you, Mark, if you want me to jump into those, unless you want to explain yourself first. Explain yourself to all the Hawkeye fans out there. Well, I basically said that other than converting some third downs to keep drives alive to maintain a lead, that there was only one meaningful, impactful play in the game offensively for Iowa, and that was the 82-yard touchdown run. Okay, so that that's a, a fair explanation. Just to make it clear, they went 4.8, as a team, 4.8 yards per carry when you take away the three Deacon Hill sacks. Okay, 4.8 okay. yards per carry. Now, the 82-yard run is part of that. You can't take it away, but let's just take it away for the sake of this discussion. Even without the three po- the 82-yard run, they averaged 3.1 on the ground, which is below what you want. You know, obviously, four is always the target. But 3.1, again, w- without the big run, which is part of the game, and Iowa's kind of had a, a, a – they've developed somewhat of a reputation this year of breaking off big runs. They did it against – Purdue, they did it against Iowa State. Now they did it, did it against Wisconsin. So I don't know. At some point, I start to think, well, the big runs aren't just anomalies. This is kind of how their their uh, their run game is working right now. They kind of bite you, bite you, bite you, and then eventually chomp down and get a big run. And we saw some breakaway speed from Lashawn on on Saturday. The the big thing for me, Mark, is we're seeing less and less negative runs. I mean, I think back to last year, even a couple of games this year, but last year so many. I mean, and even go back to 2021, so many negative four, negative five runs. Go back to the Tyler Goodson era. They were good in 2020, but I mean, it just seems like this Iowa offense, inside, outside zone, they've got a lot more gap concepts, it seems like, this year. They've got, a, you know, the, the counter play has worked well for them. They just seem to have adjusted. Maybe that's the John Budmeyer effect and maybe just the, the maturation of George Barnett's group up front to where they aren't getting those negative run plays and although they're not, you know, exceedingly dominant um, on a play-by-play basis, they're good. And they've got solid backs right now. I think LaShawn and Jazz are the two best backs in this team. Maybe not in that order. We haven't seen Jazz healthy. I think when Jazz comes back, he's got an opportunity maybe to be the best back. But, boy, you can't argue with what LaShawn Williams is doing right now. And I like Caleb Brown, or excuse me, Caleb Johnson. Don't get me wrong. He's a big back who's got the potential to be like a Braylon Allen. The problem is... He does not welcome contact like Braylon Allen. He doesn't seem to get down and lay the hit like Braylon Allen does, and he doesn't seem to have the quick twitch that Braylon Allen does. And honestly, on Saturday, LaShawn looked like the far better back, and that was reflected this week in the depth chart. Usually depth charts, we don't read too much into those. I think there's a reason, though. You saw Kirk Ferentz flip those two on the chart. My guess is part of that is because of the performance from LaShawn on Saturday, and they also want to set up a little bit of a fire under Caleb. He had 41 yards on 17 carries, so a little under three uh, yards per carry. That's that's not good enough. And unless he can break off a big run, he's had a hard time getting yards after contact. And uh, so, anyways, that's my only thing. I think the run game was pretty darn good, uh, given the fact that they were on the road playing uh, Wisconsin, who's traditionally really good against the run. Now, the passing game is a totally different discussion. Wisconsin came into this game overall for the season – 
the worst pass offense in the Big Ten. That's an incredible stat, but that that's a fact. Heading into this game, Wisconsin was dead last in the conference in uh, pass, excuse me, pass defense. So, you know, the fact that Iowa threw for 37 yards and won by two scores is incredible. And you know where I stand with the offense, Mark. You know where I stand with Brian Ferentz. You know how I feel, what's going to happen if they go up against a big dog. But you can't argue with this. I mean, they're 6-1 and one right now. And they were in control of that Wisconsin game pretty much throughout. I mean, it was, you're not going to blow teams out playing this way. But if the run game is working and Deacon Hill doesn't make mistakes, they're going to win almost every game left on the schedule, maybe every game left on the schedule. And that's assuming that... Lachey doesn't sound like he might try to come back for the bowl game. Your top two tight ends and your quarterback are all out. I still think they can get that done. Um, I I think at some point they're going to have to throw the football, right? Like they're not going to be able to do this, play the way they did Saturday. I don't think on a neutral field against Ohio state and have a shot, but I don't know. I just don't know how you argue with it at some point. And it's, it's true. You've recognized it too. Iowa has this weird propensity to find a way to win games in complete, odd fashion that nobody else seems to be able to to replicate i mean i heard a stat yesterday let me see if i can pull it out of my the back of my brain um i believe iowa has since i don't know what when this stretches back to like the last three years or something like this they have won six games in which they've had like less than uh is it less than 300 yards total offense some weird stat like that. The next closest FBS team in the country has won two, where they've had less than 300 yards. So, like, that doesn't, I don't really quite understand how Iowa does it the way they do it. Obviously, the defense is great. The special teams is great. And we've been talking about this for years, but it's amazing. And, and I do it. You do have to give Kirk Ferentz credit. Say what you want about the offense. You've got to give a head coach credit for how he finds ways to win games. So there's a lot to unpack there, positively and negatively. Mostly positive because they are 6-1, and one, because they did win the biggest game of the season to date, and most likely the biggest game of the season period in the regular season. Wisconsin is 54th in rush defense in yards per carry, and that's after the 4.8. So... I believe good. these are updated stats, but they're 54th in in, in rush defense. They're well, usually top. I know five but, to 15 in the country. In but rush but think about how. But but Mark, think about how inept Iowa's rush offense has been in recent years. I understand that's a good effort, but I'm just I'm just outlining that Wisconsin's nowhere close to where they typically are in rush. Def- like if we would go year to year, Wisconsin's rushing I, I defense. Understand. Yeah. It's but elite. Typically. Iowa hasn't over the last several years. Iowa hasn't been able to run against almost anybody. Um, they struggled to get the run game going for a while against Western Michigan. Eventually, got it going in that second half. They didn't run well, particularly well against Utah State Week One. So, I mean, just to do it on the road at Wisconsin, I understand. Sure. You know, it's different storyline there, different team to an extent. But, um, I, I mean, they've showed life. They've shown life not only in this game, but they. They showed life against Iowa State, and they showed life against Purdue. Uh, The other part in analyzing the statistics and taking away or including the long run, I think you can look at it both ways. Because I, I do think that there is some credibility and validity to taking out a long run if it's 
if it's against the norm of the rest of the way a rushing attack went to just say, okay, let's see what it looks like. That counts. And believe me, that counted on Saturday. It was a game that was 21 points were scored. It, it, of course, it was in large part the biggest play of the game. So it was huge. Uh, I think sometimes people do that for one reason, just to show, okay, how effective was the team the rest of the time? Because there are usually like 40, 45 carries in a football game. And if one does that much damage, you know, how consistent was the running game otherwise? So there, there's an obvious reason to do it, but there's also an obvious reason to do it because sometimes a run like that, the yardage is a conclusion to where you are on the field. If they would have snapped that ball at the Wisconsin 25-yard line, he would have run for a 25-yard touchdown. Sure. And the effectiveness of the play would have been exactly the same. So there's there's a portion of it there. It can also be argued on the positive side that that play is more effective than having 80-some yards of rushing yardage going between the 30s or 40s on five different series, getting a couple first downs, but not sustaining the drive and punting and back and forth where you gained 80 some yards on maybe 16 or 18 carries. And it was, it was pretty productive and you held onto the ball, but you didn't produce anything where if you've got big play, but you know, we are constantly, or I'll put it on myself, but I believe you're in this boat as well, that there's a explosive aspect that's missing from the Iowa offense. And we've certainly addressed that. So there's your explosive play right there. Yeah. And again, I I would be a little bit more willing to, you know, side on, 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 I mean, you would look at it both ways, like you just outlined, but I'd be a little bit more hesitant to um, include it when I'm evaluating the run game on Saturday, if they hadn't done it against Iowa state and against Wisconsin, and they've got that trend. They're building up that reputation for breaking off bigger runs, which is not something that we've seen a lot of with Iowa. But they have changed the run game up a bit and schematics and blocking scheme and whatnot. And obviously that offensive line has gotten older and the running back room has gotten older. By the way, to smiles per gallon in the chat, I've never called Caleb Johnson an all Big Ten type of guy ever. That's the uh, that's Those are the people that they hop on the bandwagon when the bandwagon is is uh, spicy, when it's hot, all right, when it's favorable. Um I've had people on my post game show. He's a he's going to be a tank, you know. You know, and then Jazz Patterson has a big game. Oh, I had a guy say, "Oh, he's he's going to be one of the best running backs ever to come through here." And then you know, Lashawn went off for two hundred yards. Oh, look at him! I'm I'm that's why I stuck with what I said. I think Jazz is the the most all around back on this team. I think we're going to see that. Well, I, I could be proven wrong. I think Jazz and Lashawn are the most well rounded. And until I see Caleb with an ability, a better ability to make guys miss or to run through guys, I'm a little bit hesitant with where Iowa's run game is at. I mean, certainly not going to put him on the bench. He's he's a good athlete, but he is, we used that term glider before. That's kind of how he is. And I just think LeSean and, and Jazz fit the system better. Um, and that showed Saturday. And by the way, real quick, you're never going to this. I'm not ripping you. You are never going to rest the season, Mark. You're never going to come on this show and just rave about how impressed you are get, with Iowa. It doesn't matter what with the they Iowa do. offense. I will. Well, in general, I mean, in general, because I know you're not, it's not pretty to win games 15 to six. I'm not really in that boat. I'm not the person who 
Um, I'm typically out there defending Iowa because to most football fans, they are way on the other end of the spectrum of this is atrocious. I well, can't that's even just, watch this. That's just stupid, though. Let me, can I just say this? And, and to David Green, is it Greenshield or Greenfield? Well, it's, who- it's not stupid if it's stupid if you're analyzing the football and how effective it is. But if you're just saying this is what I don't want to watch, okay. well, that's well, personal preference. Right. And and you know, one could also argue that. Uh, I'll, let me be on the Iowa side for a second. One could also argue that 50 to 51 with no offense, no defense is not pretty football. That's crap football. Yeah. Because you have no defensive play, right? Yeah. They're blown coverages. Guys don't know how to tackle. Yeah. So I'm not, I'm not saying either. I'm just saying they have found a way to win games this way. And although you and I are on the same page as it relates to the future and how I don't believe what they're doing right now is sustainable through a significantly tougher schedule with the new Big Ten that's coming in next year. With the schedule remaining this year, they have a chance to win every single game on their schedule, on the regular season schedule from here on out, without Cade McNamara, without their two tight ends, and without a pass offense. Uh, I mean, I've, I've never seen what we're seeing right now at the pass offense. It was bad last year, but like Saturday, they basically just said, we're not even going to try. Like third and five, third and six, midfield, they ran the ball every time. Every time. Because they said, we are not taking any chance of Deacon Hill screwing this up. We're just not going to. And I respect that to a point. I respect that to a point. I wish that they had more faith in the guy back there. I wish they had more faith in Deacon or they had an option back there. And that goes back to our development topic and evaluation. But the fact of the matter is, if they can run the ball well enough to get by, then yeah, run the football and use your the greatest. I mean, the greatest punter that I've ever witnessed uh, in in college athletics, Tory Taylor. At least as an Iowa guy, I mean that dude was over 500 yards punting on Saturday. Use him to your advantage. He is a weapon. In the moment, that is the way to manage the game. Absolutely, they can't do anything. Let's say they had a complete awakening. Kirk Ferentz woke up tomorrow morning and thought, this is not the way football should be run. I need to do something about this. Let's say he just had an epiphany out of nowhere. He can't do anything about this team. So you would continue to manage this team and play to your strengths and do exactly what they did on Saturday. Third and five, you run the ball. There's no reason. Your defense is giving up nothing. Right. Okay, I'm going to, and then we're going to get to Daniel of Iowa, just a three and a half point favorite at home against Minnesota. Hmm, that's kind of a curious line, uh, but we will get to the Minnesota breakdown here in just a second because you made a a loaded statement that we could talk about for hours probably. You said something about five minutes ago to the effectiveness about how effective this is. It all depends what the goal is. If the goal is to win the division, this is extremely highly effective against their competition. It's highly effective. They are the, they are the masters at what they are doing. Uh, if the goal is beyond that, this is not the way to do it. You can't do this and win beyond the division championship. Couple things we have. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not arguing with you again. This goes back to our discussions about the future of the Big Ten and how I don't think it's a s- sustainable. I don't think it's sustainable at all when you get into the more elite opponents. And the Big Ten West is just bad this year. But let me say this: if the run game continues to improve, 
I know that some people just think that you go to the Big Ten ter- championship game, there's zero chance Iowa wins. I'm not going to say that. And I'm with you. I agree with you. You made a statement earlier uh, yesterday. I think you, you jumped into our postgame show with Coach Patterson, and I heard you on that uh, clip with your caller. They are Iowa right now should be rooting uh, Iowa fans should be rooting for Penn state to win the East because not only do you get a rematch, which it doesn't erase the 31 zero game, but if you're going to beat anybody, beat the team that, that embarrassed you 31 to zero and hope that Ohio state and Michigan rack up other losses, which probably won't happen, but you do not want three 11 and one teams on the East. I guess what I'm saying is they've got a chance to be 11 and one and be one game away from Possibly being in the college football playoff. Now, what happens in the college football playoff? Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to be good. So we're on the same page there. I just look, it's hard to look at the schedule and say, and, to, and, and, and act like, well, Kirk Ferentz should be doing something different than what he's doing. I agree. This is, this I is where we're at yeah. and win these games. But I mean, I think the changes, the, the, the macro changes should have taken place in the offseason last year. And I'll encourage those again in the upcoming offseason as it relates to the offense being able to compete better and a one dimensional offense is not going to get the job done consistently against the elite. Couple of quick things and we'll get to Daniel. One is that I posted a video earlier today on the main channel that you might be interested in watching because I broke down Iowa's path to the college football playoff and how I see it. I see it a little bit more. I see it exactly the way we discussed it at one point and what you just outlined in regards to that was the obvious conclusion I came to first and foremost, too. You want the team that you lost to to have that rematch to show we can beat them and beat them more recently. Uh, I came up with a different path, though, as well. So anyway, folks, go over to the main channel at some point. Check out the Iowa video. I've carved out a, a playoff scenario for Iowa that's feasible. And, and real quick, before you yeah. throw Daniel in here, can I just give a big shout out? As I watched the game back, I was even more impressed with Sebastian Castor on Saturday. Oh. He played as well as I've seen any yes. Iowa defender play all year. And that includes Cooper DeGene, who's had a couple of really great performances. Y.A. Black's played really well. Jay Higgins has had some big performances. He's one of the leading tacklers nationally. Sebastian Castro was everywhere. And I've had doubts, or maybe not doubts, but questions about, you know, is he going to be able to meet what guys like Geno Stone and Amani Hooker and Dane Belton did at cash. All those guys are playing in the league. On Saturday against Wisconsin, he looked like the best guy they've ever had at cash. Um, now, part of that may just be the matchup and how Wisconsin plays, but, man, he, he was really, really impressive in every <laughs> facet of the game. Yes. I, I posted a few times on uh, Saturday about him. He, he hit a remarkable game. I would love to be a fly on the wall of the Eastern Division winners defensive coordinator or if it gets to a playoff situation, a Georgia defensive coordinator, whomever watching film on the Iowa offense. Yeah, (laughs) it would just be interesting to sit there and I'm not saying it would be comical. I would just be interested to see them watch it and think. Okay, what what do we have to game plan? What are we game planning against? What are we what are we doing here? Criticize just, it if you like, want. Play like a base defense and like let's. I, I guess we just I'd load like nine in the box. Well, I tell you what I do. I, I here's one thing I'll do if I'm a, if I'm an opponent, I'd tell Iowa. I, I'd make Iowa stop doing their run their empty crap with Deacon Hill. I'd be sending six every time, and. 
if I see them going out with, you know, whatever it may be, um, 11 or 12 personnel and then going empty, I'm switching things up and I'm sending the house because he is not a threat to run. And Iowa does not have man beaters down the field. So that's one thing I'm surprised opponents haven't done. But as it relates to film, you're absolutely right. Watching the Iowa offense on film, they are not trying. Like it's, They just take a completely different approach to football. They Even though the goal is to score points, the goal is not to score points in Iowa's mind. The goal is to win games. And they believe, and they're pretty good at doing it, that they win games through field position and with their punter and with their gunners and with being patient on being in the right spots on defense. It really is a work of art. People can say what they want about how ugly it is. It's a work of art what Phil Parker, LeVar Woods, and Kirk Ferentz have done. I don't give Brian a ton of credit for this. I give you got to give him credit for the run game improving. He's the OC, but uh, Kirk Ferentz is the head coach, keeping the guys together, and there's never any resentment, it seems like, from offense to defense or vice versa. It's just an impressive thing. It is impressive, and again, I only question it depending on what the goal is. I, I would love to have a one-on-one with Kirk and have him honestly give me an answer of what what the end game is supposed to be. I, I think I think the honestly, I think the understanding, whether he says it or not, is that he doesn't feel like that Iowa is able to compete with personnel. They are not able to compete for national titles. So we're going to do the best. We're going to get squeeze every last ounce of ketchup out of that bottle yeah. and win every and, and and fair enough to an extent um, because they haven't recruited well enough. They don't develop well enough on offense. That's a different discussion based on what they have right now. They're playing the way they need to be playing. We've got a guy here, Daniel House from Gophers Guru, who knows analytics and metrics as well as anyone I know. Uh, and Daniel Great to see you. Thanks so much for stopping by. Of course, uh, the annual rivalry game that is protected in the future, so it will not cease. It will continue on a year yearly annual basis. Uh, Daniel, what you're seeing out of Iowa, just in terms of the analytics and the metrics and all of that, how much of an aberration is it? I, I can't even believe the offensive metrics. I, I sat down and, and looked through it, and I'm going, man, how in the heck are they doing this? But it comes back to field position, punting, flipping fields. Uh, you know, it's crazy when you're backed up, you have a quick drive, three and out, 65-yard punt, and you suddenly flip the field, or you know, you're pinning, a, pinning an offense back, and maybe your defense creates a takeaway. I think it's remarkable what their defense does when you consider the fact that they're three and out all the time. They're they're on the field for like the third most snaps in college football, like that the fatigue doesn't set in. They maintain the discipline. You know, they tackle well. They play with good fundamentals. And I thought in the Wisconsin game, they continue to just run the ball, run the ball, run the ball. And they kind of lull you to sleep, but then they make just a little adjustment where, you know, some orbit motion or mix it up with a different concept, maybe running some more gap schemes this year than they typically have, uh, it seems like. Uh, change up slightly in the rushing scheme to be make enough plays, maybe you can pop off one big one that gets you some points offensively, and then it's always the formula, field position, takeaways, uh, those big plays from the defense and special teams that prop up the offense. That's that's my outsider's take. 
as I was there in Madison on Saturday and I'm watching that opening run, that opening score, I made the comment to the people around me, that might be enough. It was 7-0 in the first quarter. And I'm like, that might be enough. And sure enough, it would have been. I mean, if you just look at the score, right? I mean, Wisconsin uh, ending up with six. So, yeah, it is it is weird. And they have run more gap stuff this year than ever before. And, and a lot of fans, even the casual fans that don't know anything about football, they've been calling for that for years. And maybe that is the John Budmeyer uh, influence. I think Kirk would say that he's just got linemen that he feels are more equipped to execute in every aspect of of the run game. And so, and again, let's not take away from pass protection, even though Deacon didn't, you know, by the way, I have the stats written down. Where do I have the stats written down? I have them somewhere. He had, let's see, 36, 36 yards towards the beginning of the second quarter. He ended up with 37 for the game. He had one completion for one yard to Nico Ragaini in the last like three quarters. I'm not kidding. That's, that is insane. Actually, I think it was Johnny Pascuzzi, the fourth string Fifth string tight end. One completion for one yard. Definitely in the second half, but basically the last three quarters. And they won by two scores. So <laughs> it's it's incredible. And and Daniel, you again, I think you would be great on the Iowa beat because you do love <laughs> the numbers and the analytics so much. Um, I'll give you a number that struck me heading into Iowa, Wisconsin last week. As of last week, and I'm guessing that hasn't changed. It certainly hasn't changed on Iowa's end. Iowa's the only team in all of the FBS to be averaging more punt yards per game than offensive yards. And that only that gap only grew on Saturday because Torrey Taylor went for over 500 punting yards. I mean, it's incredible. And Mark, you can rub your head all you want. Let me tell you something right now, buddy boy. That game on Saturday, you watch what Torrey Taylor did and and Brock Huard and and, uh, Jason Benetti were raving about him as well. His ability to kick 60 yards, his ability to kick inside the five, consistently get inside the 20, to kick with, you know, uh, every sort of pressure coming at him. I mean, he has mastered, he is an NFL punter. And then you get it, you know, you got an NFL punter, potential NFL kicker. You've got that defense. You got the, the the Phil Parker schematics. You got, I mean, they have a propensity to, to create safeties and obviously interceptions. I mean, it's just they're so complete in special teams and defense that it it really with the schedule it almost doesn't matter what they do on offense as long as they don't turn the ball over. That's basically what Kirk said today in his press conference. He was asked about Deacon Hill. How do you get Deacon to the next step? Kirk answered the way he should have. He was absolutely honest. He said, well, you know, we're going to keep working on him. We're, you know, he's talking about completion percentage. But he's like, you know, I, I Deacon didn't turn the ball over once. And that's, that's, that is priority number one, protect the football. That's priority number one. And that's why, again, as I'm standing there in the stands on Saturday, I'm seeing them at third and five, third and six or midfield. They're running the ball every time. You knew they were. And Kirk Ferentz is fine. He's fine with not getting the first down. He's not upset about it at all because he's going to go pin him back inside the five and then and then dial up a blitz and get a safety. This is just how they play. It's it's incredible. They've been doing it for so long, but Saturday was such a prime example of how Iowa has won football games for so long. And it was, you're right, it was the biggest game of the season. That's why I'm so much more positive because I see at least over the next month and a half, Mark, an opportunity for a lot of wins playing this brand of football. A lot of wins, and uh, one staring them in the face at home is against Minnesota, which 
the the point spread is only three and a half, which kind of surprised me. Uh, Iowa was actually something in that range uh, against Purdue, not an extremely good football team. But we'll focus on Minnesota here and the challenge that they bring. So Vegas looks this, at this as a competitive game. I'm highly confident Iowa's going to win this game. Like, I, I'm not confident they're going to win by much, but I'm confident they're going to win. Uh, Daniel, this Minnesota team is obviously not as good as the last few editions. Uh, what what are the issues? Um, I would say some younger players on defense stepping into bigger roles this season, and it's, there's been some growing pains with that. Uh, Maverick Baranowski had zero snaps last year. This is his first taste of it. He ended up being thrust into the role with Cody Lindenberg suffering a training camp injury. And I, I mean, Cody was on track to be maybe the best linebacker in the Big Ten overall. Uh, and they haven't had him at all. He might be able to come back for this game. He's been working his way back slowly. Minnesota just came off the bye week. Uh, there were a lot of little dings. Uh, Darius Taylor on the offensive side, freshman running back, who's played very well, breakout player this season. He suffered an injury and, and wasn't able to play the previous week. But I think they were kind of setting that up for him to get healthy and, and return for this one. So when you look at Minnesota's defense, it's been just little detail lapses where it's an eye discipline mistake here, maybe didn't communicate correctly. Just a few plays over the course of the game that are explosive ones. And, uh, you know, that's really hurt them uh, defensively. And I say offensively, it's execution. Uh, the North Carolina game, you can go back and look at like four balls that if they're placed just a little bit better, uh, they could have had explosive touchdowns. Uh, they've been managed to run the ball rather well. The offensive line, I think, has played great this season. There hasn't been an issue up front in that respect. So I believe if they can navigate some of the, the detail lapses that they've had on both sides of the ball and even on special teams, too. I mean, it's like fielding the kickoff return and falling out of bounds at the three. You got yourself backed up early in a game. Just these small detail lapses. Uh, the Northwestern game is a perfect example. I mean, you got a 21-point lead going into the fourth quarter, give up a whole bunch of explosive plays and can't sustain any drives, and then Northwestern pulls off the comeback. So I feel Minnesota, you look back, when they have a rest advantage, they're 10-1 and one since 2019. So it's something to watch for. Minnesota does a nice job of resetting, retooling, getting healthy during the bye week. They have a, a really you know, detailed approach for that. So uh, I think that could be weighing into some of that Vegas line as well. Minnesota's success coming out of the rest advantage. I was going to ask you about that, Daniel, just the bye week success in the past. And obviously this is a different team, but I think that's a valid stat. And Iowa, I don't know what Iowa stats are coming out of bye weeks there I, I, based on recent recency in my memory. They're not great coming out of bye weeks. Um, now, some of that's luck of the draw and who you play week coming out of a of a bye week. But um, you know, is it fair to say Minnesota has not been impressive really against anybody this year? I mean, they weren't real impressive against Eastern Michigan until late. You know, they squeaked by Nebraska. Obviously, got pants pulled down against uh, Michigan, and then blew the game to Northwestern and what North Carolina is the one I'm missing, I think. And uh, Louisiana was fairly close. Is that a fair statement to make? I would say they haven't played a complete game all year where something has propped them up, where the Eastern Michigan game, they were able to uh, run the ball effectively. Uh, the Nebraska game, defense held them up with a couple of key takeaways. Tyler Newbin had a big game 
uh, Eastern Michigan, you know, like I said, able to run the ball. Louisiana, I thought they bounced back very well in the Louisiana game. Ethan Calicmanis maybe played his best game overall, being accurate reading things, setting things up. I, I believe that's been the biggest thing. I, I believe people underestimated the growing pains that occur with playing a younger quarterback. And I know Ethan got some experience then the last season, including playing Iowa uh, last season. But, you know, the, the continued reps that you need to have to be able to be successful. Uh, teams are scheming with the, the change in the picture, the coverage, especially when they get Minnesota backed up to, you know, make some, uh, you know, pick sixes. I mean, Michigan had two pick sixes in the, in the previous game. Uh, you know, I think that's going to be Phil Parker's approach is try to get Minnesota backed up, get them off schedule. Minnesota is not effective offensively when they're not efficient on first and second down. When they're backed up into third and long, that's the recipe for success because then you can sort of change that coverage picture and uh, do things to potentially bait Minnesota into some mistakes. So that's been the storyline is, you know, there, there was going to be highs and lows with the quarterback. It's, it's now, when is he going to really take that next step forward? Uh, I think that's still the, the question that many people have. So this team's not a contender in the West this season because the defense is not nearly as good. Basically that w- would you say that that's just the bottom line? The deal is, I don't know how when it's going to come together for Minnesota. Like, I don't feel like it's it's that far away from from clicking because if Cody Lindenberg's able to come back, he's the catalyst of that defense. Minnesota at the linebacker position, they put a lot on the plate of the main guy. Where it's like you got to adjust, you got to make all the calls. Your zone drops have to be tight. They've had some lapses with that where they've been getting hit over the middle of the field. It's tackling here and there. And the big thing is health as well. There's a lot of little dings on the defensive side of the ball. I think the bye week is going to be critical to just get guys back healthy again. The pass rush has improved, in my opinion. It it, it was something they put a major emphasis on. They're getting more interior push. Kyler Baugh, the defensive tackle, has played very well. Uh, they haven't been able to finish a ton of rushes. Uh, they've had some retracing problems and some pass rush lane issues. But for the most part, I do believe the pass rush has a lot of potential, something that could take a step forward. This type of game, I think Minnesota, what they're going to do is they're going to load the box, try to stop the run, get Deacon Hill backed up, uh, and then you know send a lot of blitz pressure. I mean, you look at the numbers when, you, when blitzed, I think there's some opportunity there for Minnesota to exploit. If they can get Iowa into passing down situations, I mean, they're dead last. Uh, in a lot of those key metrics of, of when teams are able to knock them off schedule. So that's that's kind of the key. I think first and second down, whoever does it better in this game will end up winning, and Minnesota has to get off to a very, very quick start. I'd come out with trick plays and, and first drive, take the football, and try to go down and, and get an early lead because if you can do that, uh, you could potentially uh, you know get the flow of the game going in your direction. I agree with that, and uh, Iowa's been taking the ball first lately, and I think their theory is we can get – it's not because I think they're going to score first, uh, at least not on that opening drive, but it's because, hey, we can, you know, get a couple of first downs and then pin you back, you know, when we have an NFL punter with the leg Torrey Taylor has. So, you know, Iowa converted, I think, they they advanced the ball three or four times on the opening drive, maybe not quite that many, at least two on that opening drive against Wisconsin, and then they 
you know, had field position. The rest of the game, they couldn't convert a third down. I think they started off like three of four and they ended up like four of 15 or something insane. So you're absolutely right. And, and Daniel, if I'm, if I'm Minnesota, I'm, I'm blitzing the heck out of Deacon Hill. And again, I go back to what I said before you jumped on with us. Uh, the fact that Iowa even tries to go empty um, early in, in series and I, and they haven't, nobody's paid them pay for it. And I would just think somebody eventually will. And maybe it's Minnesota since they had an extra week of prep. Um, PJ's not had it. We know about the storylines with Iowa, Minnesota. I'm sure this is a game that he wants. And, you know, the, I will say the last time Iowa had a run game against this team was 2020 um, up in, in Minneapolis. And that was the, you know, we'll, we'll leave our timeouts here and take Floyd with us <laughs> game. Um, but, uh, yeah, this, I, I don't know about the line, Mark. I, I, what you said three and a half right now. That's what I saw. I don't think that's that far off. I, I don't know why you'd favor Iowa by any more than, you know, three to seven points in any game the rest of the year. Like even when they play Northwestern at Wrigley, that line better not be more than six or seven points, even though there's going to be 75% Iowa fans in that stadium. Yeah, it's almost like Vegas needs a different metric, which is the point spread, but then also the confidence rate or the confidence percentage of win-loss. That would be extremely high. Just a different. It's just a difference when you're playing a, a line like this. A line like three and a half for Iowa is so. It's such a normal occurrence. Whereas you know, if Ohio State or well, maybe that's a bad example, but obviously a high-scoring team is you know favored by two to four points. It doesn't really mean much. You can almost call it a, especially if they're at home. You can almost call it an even spread. The over/under is thirty-two and a half. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, they hit the under this past weekend, Mark, fifteen to six. So, and against Purdue, they did. Sure, they did. That's another oddity in regards to the betting lines that uh, our guy Steve Merrill, who joins me once a week, says is that um, the conventional wisdom would be on these super high over-unders that you take the under and the super low ones, you take the over because there's there's going to be scoring in the game. There's no way these teams can consistently only score in the teens, but it actually it's the other way around that uh, these games have come in. There's a stat that uh, if the over-unders uh, under 37, that the under comes in like 80-some percent of the time. And Daniel, do you know, you probably looked at the box score. Do you know what the discrepancy in pass attempts versus rush attempts was for Iowa Saturday? No, uh, it, it's significant. It's significant. Four, 14 pass attempts for the game. By the way, like almost half of those came in the first quarter. Yeah. 48 rush attempts. Um, now, you know, the old adage is that if you can run the ball that many times, that typically means that you're just dominating the other team on the ground. But with Iowa, I think it more comes back to, again, the field position conversation. They would rather be risk adverse with third down, but you're going to see that again on Saturday. If they get behind schedule, they're, they're going to run the ball a lot. And whether it's third and eight, third and five, third and 20, they're just going to run the ball. It's just, you just know that. And I've brought up waist downs before, Mark. Daniel would be a good one to talk about this. I had an interesting back and forth with Brian Ferentz during the offseason, Daniel. I asked him specifically about waist downs because Iowa doesn't get a lot of waist downs. He's not getting a lot of eight, nine-yard chunks on first down. Mm -hmm. But uh, the interaction I had was was fascinating because he basically said 
we don't coach that way. We don't call plays that way. Uh, and it was kind of an odd answer. He even told me that he could he, he could never foresee a scenario where third and one is a waste down, which really blew my mind when I heard him say that he could never foresee a scenario where third and one is a waste down, even in four down territory. But uh, Iowa had three waste downs on Saturday, ran every time. And you could argue in a game like Wisconsin, maybe I should just shut up about the whole waste downs thing because maybe it's the right call. And I think that's how they're looking at it right now is that more there's there's more potential for harm if we put the ball up at any point in the game, even if it's second down and one, then there is, hey, let's chuck a throw down the field on a waist down and potentially make a big play. We'd rather just make sure I I guarantee you the stress for for the running backs throughout the week leading up to the game with Liddell Betts and the staff heading into the game and during game day was to LaShawn Williams and Caleb Johnson, you hold that football like it's your newborn and do anything to keep anybody from stripping it. And I give them credit. They ran 48 times on a single fumble. That is that is a good, good sign for a guy like LaShawn Williams, who has fumbled in the past. Um, he was in the doghouse earlier this year with Kirk, I think, briefly. Um, so they're, they're doing what they need to do. 228 passing yards for Wisconsin, marked to 37 for Iowa. And of course, Tanner Mordecai went out in what the second quarter. Not that he was scoring either. So I'm into not the second that quarter, that was they, the they didn't have any points when he went out. Yeah. Um, into the second quarter was when he threw a, a pass and hit. I think it was Jay Higgins' helmet and broke his hand. Sounds like he's out maybe for the rest of the year. If I'm not mistaken, Daniel, it was the North Carolina game in which I can't think of the backup quarterback's name came into the game for like two plays. Yeah, Cole Kramer came in. Yeah, took a shot at the end zone and got yes. intercepted. Yeah. They were down, I believe, a score. I think that's mm-hmm. when they had cut it from 21 nothing or 21-3 to 21-13. They're down a score. They're on a nice drive. Cole Kramer comes into the game, and they take a shot to the end zone, and he throws a duck uh, that was picked off, and they never really challenged after that. Well, yeah, they're – that's what it's been for Minnesota in these games. There's three plays you can go back and look at. Could have been touchdowns. The ball's placed a little better. Uh, you know, then you got that interception. Like Minnesota is, is – it's weird. Like the season has been weird because it's had s- such ebb and flow to it where every game's been a little different. They've played different stylistic offense and defensive teams, which has forced them to prepare differently. And I think that's created some challenges for the young quarterback too, seeing a lot of different looks and everybody scheming that way, trying to, you know, create some confusion. And like it's Michigan, for example, you know, I thought you'd see, uh, wouldn't see as much too high shell in that game, but they played more of it and they, you know, came show pressure and bluffed out of it, and that led to some mistakes here. There, they hit with a trap coverage early in the game, where you know they were reading that outbreaking route, number two receiver, and that cornerback has the assignment to just jump the ball and bait it into a mistake. So it's eliminating those small detail lapse mistakes and execution. Like I, I don't think Minnesota is. There's going to be a moment where it clicks for Minnesota at some point this season. PJ Flex teams always seem to get better as the season progresses. And especially after this bye week where they had some time to reset, I want to see how they play. I, I don't even know what's what's going to happen. But uh, some of those younger players and those transfers that they had come in, especially on defense, it's been a little bit longer process to get that to gel and play as one. 
And uh, they've been working pretty hard to try to get it to that point. But uh, Cody Lindenberg coming back, if he is able to return for this game, that is the biggest storyline entering this game. Watch 45 in this game because he is a very, very good player. Two questions for me, Daniel, real quick, and then I'm going to go back to Iowa, and then I'll come back to Minnesota. A, your your college football expertise, if Iowa's 11-1 at the end of the year, is the playoff championship oh. game, if they're 11-1, is the championship game a play-in game for the college football playoff? Do you think 12-1 Big Ten champion with the climate of you know perception of the different conferences this year gets them in regardless of how they look in those wins? I I would be amazed. I think I, think I have a better chance of winning the Powerball, but I would say if if that occurred and they won the uh, won the Big Ten championship, then they probably have to make it in. But I would okay. be absolutely amazed if they won the Big Ten championship. Yeah, but it is be. one it is one game. It's one game, and I know it's you know there have been there our share of lopsided games. We saw Iowa against Penn State earlier this year not compete. Um, I, I don't, and I know Mark, you you disagree with me on this, but I go back to, and you fans will call me delusional if they want, but you go back to Iowa, Penn State this year, Iowa, Michigan in twenty twenty one, even Iowa, Ohio State last year, all ended up blowouts, but every single one of those games started close and stayed close for the first couple of quarters, and eventually the dam broke. If Iowa can, if in a game like that, the way they play right now, if they can somehow hit on a special teams play and and maybe a a defensive score, and they're able to run the ball semi effectively, and you're up early as opposed to being down like they fell in every one of those games, Farrakhan doesn't fumble. Maybe they get up in that game. I know you disagree with that, Mark, but it does. I think it does change the outcome of the game significantly. Maybe not you know win loss. Um, you made the comment when I brought that up a few weeks ago, Mark. Well, you know, if Eric Hall hadn't f- fumbled and they scored a touchdown, it'd be would be thirty one zero, be thirty one seven. I don't I, even think I said seven. Well, no, you did because I, I said no. I, I think I said three. Well, see, you're wrong. I, I think you're wrong about that. And then we, well, there's you, no way you to think prove I'm it. wrong. There's no way to prove it. I don't. There's no way to prove it. The way Iowa failed to move the ball, I don't see them scoring against Penn State. On that night in that game, I'm not talking about a future game. Well, they were moving them, the ball that they were moving the ball that possession until Eric all. Yeah, I don't see them driving in for a touchdown. No, maybe not. They could be up three zero, and sometimes that's all that Iowa needs. Yeah, uh, it sounds like I've got a lot more confidence in Iowa than a lot of people I talk to because I do think that they would have a chance in the Big Ten championship game. I think that they would be. A, incredible underdog for a conference championship game. They'd be a 17 to 20 point underdog and they would have, in my estimation, maybe a 10 or 15% chance of winning that game. Well, it w- w- for people, I see Steve in the chat. I shouldn't be thinking about Indy. Well, I, the players shouldn't be taking one game at a time. Yeah. They are in control of this division. They they can lose a game. Now, if they lose a game and they're 10-2, and two, they're not making the playoff regardless of what happens in the championship game. And that's fine. But they they have to lose because well, Wisconsin is going to lose to Ohio State. So assuming that happens, unless when Minnesota all of a sudden beats Iowa this weekend and runs the table, or Nebraska runs the table and beats Iowa, Iowa is strongly in control of their own destiny right now. So, I mean, it is a fair conversation. We're, we're seven games into the year. 
Um, they are the clear cut favorites at this point. If they weren't preseason. Oh, absolutely. They are. I'm going to make a ridiculous statement, but it is, it is possible, but I should have no confidence in the t- this team. And I do not have any confidence, but there are other teams that hold. So there are multiple teams that hold their own destiny right now. And Nebraska is one of them. Right. If, if they, if they went out, then they win. That's a tough defensive scheme code to crack. They will beat somebody at the end of the season that they probably aren't favored to beat. That is I my prediction. S- I, honestly, I could see Iowa losing to anybody left in their schedule. I will openly admit that. But I also believe they'll be favored against everybody left in their schedule. And they're not going to get blown out by anybody left in their schedule. So I I think I think Minnesota coming off a of bye week is fascinating. I feel like they're going to have some stuff that they – that they put in this week or, you know, they're a little more healthy now. I think this, I think this game will be intrigued, more intriguing than people think. I had a caller phone in on Saturday or it was actually, I think it was last night during our part two of our post game show with coach Patterson and Daniel, it was a Minnesota fan who made the statement that Brevin Spanford has not been very good this year. He's had some drops I mean, he, he came in maybe hyped up to be the best tight end of this conference. What have you seen from him? Yeah, I just think it's exactly what you said. Some drops here or there, uh, you know, ball placement here or there that if it's better, he's maybe has a chance to score. There's been a couple of those situations. Um, you know, it, it's one of those things where he had like high, high expectation level and it the, the bar hasn't been hit yet. But when is it unlocked? Is there a point where, you know, you reset, you think about some things, you try to incorporate more designs that, you know, revolve around Brevin over the course of the end of the season here in the second half. That's one of the things that I actually wrote about is finding ways to get him even more involved and get the offense into a group, maximize your personnel. Uh, I, I feel like Minnesota offensively, it's just been one one thing here or there. It's ball placement off here, drop there, like, if they can clean up those execution lapses, the offense will look better. It's just, uh, it, it's been a weird year where all the pieces haven't come together. The puzzle pieces are there. They just haven't quite meshed together yet. And I don't know when it's going to click. I don't, I don't know, but there will be a point this year. I believe when it clicks. And Mark, uh, Don Patterson, of course, runs the analytics for Iowa each and every year and the parameters that are essential for victory. I can tell you Iowa, Minnesota, the last two years, that game has been an anomaly because in each of those games, Minnesota's won more parameters, uh, Big Ten mm-hmm. parameters that have been assigned. So the numbers game Minnesota's had in their favor, and Kirk mentioned that today during his press conference. It's very rare that you can win any game, especially on the road, when you're giving up 300 rushing yards, which is what Iowa did a year ago. Now, different attack, right? Different running back room. They don't have Mio Ibrahim walking through that door. So I'll be interested to see schematically what Iowa's defense looks like because they have been exposed a bit on the ground against this team. Yeah, Minnesota's been able to run the ball effectively. They use that short toss at Iowa to add some success with that in the previous matchup. And then last year, they were able to run the ball well with Mo. And I mean, last year, you look at the game, it was turnovers were the big factor. I mean, you had the interception late in the game. You had the fumble. If you're able to sustain that drive, able to bleed the clock down and get points, you're you're probably leaving with the victory. It, you go back and, and look at the Iowa-Minnesota matchups. There's like three plays every game that end up being the difference. And that's always the case. I actually believe that in football, that it always comes down to three or four plays every game that sway the outcome. 
Especially for and, Iowa. <laughs> yep. Especially when your margin is like this, you yeah. know, which is that style of play. Minnesota led the game last year and was driving in the red zone, right? To go up two scores, fumbled, and then, yep. then yeah. Yep. And then add the interception too. Yeah. This is what Iowa does. I mean, I know that's that's not the best analysis, but that's what they do. One thing that I, I didn't listen to uh, Luke Fickle post game, I intend to go back and do that. But somebody did call into the show as well and, and made the comment that apparently Fickle made a, a statement about Iowa on tape that basically, hey, we didn't realize how good this defense was until we were out here on the field. And I asked Don Patterson the question. I said, you know, Don, is it possible that, you know, because he's obviously watched a ton of film in his day, especially being an offensive coach, looking at a defense on film, is it possible that with a team like Iowa that maybe doesn't have the best metrics, the best athleticism, the biggest, strongest, fastest guys, that they can be deceiving in prep? And he said, absolutely. And I think that's what Iowa does. We always hear this, and, and I, I think Brock Heward did a good job on Saturday during the broadcast, and we've had some some better analysis, I think, during games the last few weeks on this. But how sound – and Urban Meyer talked about it on the Big Ten Network here last week – how sound Iowa is in their fits. How I mean, they're always in the right spot. I mean, they just it's amazing how Phil has united everybody across uh, the plane, whether we're talking about Kelvin Bell on the defensive line, you're talking about um, his cornerbacks, you're talking about Seth Wallace's linebackers. Everybody is so united in how they play football, and I know that sounds cliche, but they're just always in the right spots. So the need for speed and athleticism doesn't hurt you in a lot of these games. And for the people out there, I saw some people earlier in the chat bring up, you know, they're going to be able to win this game until they play a good team. Wisconsin is a good team. Okay, let's cut the crap on that. And honestly, Iowa they, State. They mean a really good team. What's well, Okay, but that's, I, I know. I'm sure they mean. Okay, elite, elite yes. team, elite team. But guess what? Uh, I think Iowa State's actually a good team. They're going to make a bowl game. They've looked really good these last couple of weeks. Big 12 is not great. I get it. But that's going to be a good win on the road. You think about their two best wins right now. No question it's their two road wins at Iowa State and at Wisconsin. Hawkeye Howard wants me to wear an Iowa shirt. Like, what? What? What is this? Like, I, I am in, if anything, and I, I made the comment a couple of weeks ago that I was rooting for Iowa to go through and win the Big Ten Championship this year, aside from a possible matchup against one particular team. So, uh, yeah, so so Hawkeye Howard, the answer to that uh, challenge there would be you need to come up with something that I win in response to, you know, only suckers take bets where they are the loser, but they can't win anything. So I don't know, thousand dollars in super chats, whatever you can come up with that will counter if I will take the Eastern Division winner, you take Iowa, I'll wear the Iowa shirt. This is a better question for Daniel or Mark. What's the three-way tiebreaker in the Big Ten? Uh, so I've looked through this. I went through this when I did my predictions. Record against uh, one another? Season. I'm assuming. So that three-way. So so if you run through most of the tiebreakers in any division, there are assumptions, not assumptions made, but stipulations about those three teams losing to other teams. But with those three <laughs> You know, it just defaults. It just goes down tiebreaker to tiebreaker because we're going to make the assumption here that they win all the games against everyone else. So it comes down to like the seventh or eighth tiebreaker, and it's who has the 
who played the three teams with the composite best record in the West Division? That's what it comes down to. And my guess is that might be, well, be either Ohio State or Penn State because yeah, Michigan doesn't get Iowa or Wisconsin. I guess that's my first thought. Yeah. But the reason I bring that up is how mad will you be? I know you're a college football guy, but Mark, you are an Ohio State guy. As a fan, what are you thinking on, you know, Iowa somehow beats Penn State in the Big Ten title game, Ohio State sitting at home at 11-1 and with their one loss being to either Penn State or Michigan. What are you thinking as an Ohio State fan heading into Selection Sunday? I think they get in. <laughs> I know you think that, but I'm saying if they get... Oh, if they don't. I mean, if they don't, yeah, let's just say they don't get in. Say they say the committee takes Iowa as a 12 and one Big Ten champion over a non division winner, 11 and one Ohio State. How how much outrage are you getting from Ohio State and potentially Michigan oh. fans? Oh, <laughs> my word. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a fair conversation. I want it to happen on a number of levels. Well, of course you do. You're an Iowa fan. <laughs> well, and you want to see the. You the, told me a couple weeks melee. ago. You, you told me a couple weeks ago you wanted to see it happen. You wanted to see if Iowa it doesn't involve my team. I know. Yes. I know. I want Iowa to win the Big Ten championship against Penn State or Michigan. Yes. Regardless. Although I also want to see the league represented in the conference. And there's this assumption that a Big Ten champion with one loss is going to make it. Ohio State in 2018 went 12 and one, won the Big Ten championship, was left out of the playoff. They beat four top 15 teams in the country and they still got left out. Yeah, I don't I don't even know how that happened. You've told that to me a number of times, and I, I typically have a pretty good memory. They I don't lost to Purdue by four touchdowns. That was the yeah, egregious loss. That was a Rondell Moore uh team yeah, on the road. One bad day. Yeah. So oh, it, we we have all sorts of fascinating possibilities. No question about that. So what what will happen if what, real quick, let me just see the expression on your face when I say this. Iowa runs the table, wins the Big Ten championship, and then wins the college football playoff. If wins the, the committee national, wins a national title, <laughs> wow! <laughs> <weird>. <laughs> just what what will you say if they do that? Will you just quit? Will you just shut down the whole show? Just shut it all down? Yes, <laughs> I will shut it down. Why would I shut it down? It should, it should make start making me money. Uh, uh, yeah, for a team that's best win is against Wisconsin. Wow, that's that's a lot know. in front of them to try to get past. And they won't have any better wins by the time we hit the Big Ten Championship, even if they win out. Their best no, win will have won't. been against Wisconsin. Yeah. yeah. And that's why I, I believe Ohio State would get selected, because under that scenario, they would have a loss against Michigan or Penn State, which I'm guessing would be a much closer loss than what Iowa suffered against Penn State. They would have a win against one of those two, and they would have a win on the road against Notre Dame. They would have a win on the road like Iowa did against Wisconsin. So their resume would just be... A couple things. Root, root hard. If you're an Iowa fan and you're actually dreaming of somehow squeaking into the playoff with this team, as delusional as that may sound, you be uh, to me. You're rooting against Ohio State and Michigan every single week. You're rooting for Penn State this week against Michigan. You're rooting for Iowa State every single week. You're rooting for Iowa State to somehow win the Big Twelve. Yeah, because all of a sudden that becomes a really good win if they can somehow do yeah. that, which I don't think they will. Um, they got a big game next week. So, anyways, uh, I know we. This is probably boring to Daniel because I'm going off on these things, but it's a fascinating story. It is fascinating. It is fascinating. And Corey, if you check out my video, you may be surprised what formula I put together for Iowa to get to the college football playoff. 
Oh, by the way, let's give a little tally mark to the Big Ten West. What happened this weekend that I told you heading into the the, game, the uh, weekend that was a significant? Yeah. Illinois beat Maryland. That's huge. It's That's huge. It's huge. When you no, sit here and tell huge. me that, no, listen, when you sit here and tell me that Maryland, well, Maryland's pr- maybe the fourth best team in the conference. When you sit here and tell me that, and then maybe the worst team in the Big Ten West beats them, uh, on, was it on the road too? Was it at Maryland? Yes. Yeah. Then, I mean, at, at that point, then I, I, I double down on my it's stance. Huge in that, what way? Say it's it insignificant. It's not insignificant. How is it insignificant? Yeah. Uh, are we comparing the Big Ten East to the West, and we're gonna we're gonna hold up one game? We're comparing. No, we're not gonna hold up one game. We're comparing everything past Ohio State, Michigan, Penn State in the East. And as bad as the West has been, I don't think it's quite as bad comparatively to the rest of the East, not counting those top three teams as people make it out to be. I, I just don't think it is, and that's I think that's proof of that. Illinois might be the worst team in this in this division. Well, maybe they aren't now. We'll see. We'll see them continue to play. Uh, I would say that I've been a great defender of the Big Ten Western Division for years and years and years and years because the narrative has, I think, been way overblown. And I I posted a video a couple of weeks ago talking about how bad the Big Ten Western Division Division is right now, but also defending the Big Ten Western Division during the course of the history of the conference just because it's 0-9 in the championship game, that is matched an elite team, usually Ohio State, against somebody else, and that's just not been a fair fight. And other than that, the league, uh, the division has played well against the East. It's only got about a 13-game disadvantage. Um, there's, a, there's like a 13-game separation going into this season in nine years. So, And to Steve in the chat when he says, Corey, we need Ohio State to beat Wisconsin – not necessarily. If Iowa wins out, it doesn't matter. That's what I'm saying. Like if I if if you have extreme confidence that Iowa is going to win out, which I don't think anybody has that level of confidence. But if they do, you'd prefer Wisconsin beat Ohio State because <laughs> it makes the West look better, it makes Iowa's schedule looks better, and it gives yeah. a loss to Ohio State. Absolutely. If the goal is just to win the West, then you want everyone in the West just to lose, 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 right. because then you can have the worst record possible and win the West. But if the goal is to get to the playoff, you want the West teams to win. Although, yeah, there, there's always ways to slice it up. I've got I've got two quick questions about Minnesota. One, Daniel, would be one of the more shocking results for me this season was when I discovered that Saturday that Northwestern, not that they beat Minnesota, but if I could have selected the most unlikely team in America to come back from 21 points down in the Power Five, it might have been Northwestern. And then they did it against the team that is, again, the defense not as good this year, but that has been airtight on defense. So that result and just that, how that game played out in the fourth quarter, Any yeah. Explanation for that. Yeah, it was explosive plays. Uh, zone drops not being tight, fitting the ball in, making big plays. Got hit with a double move right before halftime and gave up explosive TD. And I, I knew at that point, I I didn't feel like Minnesota played particularly well throughout the course of that game at times. Like the, the couple penalties here or there aided them, and it just never felt like the game was completely you know, like they were taking control of the game. So that was a weird anomaly type of game. I was actually at 
the game in Evanston. And I, I, I just, the environment there and everything about it was just hard to fathom. I, I, I was speechless at the end of it for, for a few moments. I actually didn't realize that uh, things were running late here. Um, I had a question about the Minnesota program, but we've got an entire off season to bring you back on and talk about the program and the future and so forth. So we will do that at a later date, but uh, Daniel house, everyone at Gophers guru, uh, Daniel, just let everyone know the best way uh, to find you and uh, what you've got available this week. You can check out uh, my work at gophersguru.com. The subscription package is $5 a month. Uh, Next-gen approach to gopher coverage, including uh, some analysis of film, uh, blending in the numbers, and then features on players and coaches, everybody associated with the program. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Daniel House MN. Very good. Thank uh, you so much, Daniel. We appreciate you being here. Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate it. All right. Minnesota, Iowa at Kinnick. I believe that's an NBC game. It is. I like the games on NBC. I know some people don't like the, the coverage. Who did the play by play for USC uh, Notre Dame? That was uh, Chris Collinsworth's son, correct? I, I like him. I actually like him. Uh, some other things that I've seen, I don't necessarily care for him. I didn't really listen, listen to the analysis or the game. Jason Garrett did the. Yeah, those two have been paired up. They were paired up for the Iowa game a couple weeks ago. Okay. And uh, so anyways, uh, Hawkeye Howard. Yes, the games on NBC and Peacock. So any NBC games on Peacock and the, the real Hayden made that super chat. And so did Pugmaster. So thank you to both of them. But the real Hayden. The whole service academy thing, you know, if you had options, like if you had, because right now the Deacon Hill's not doing anything but being a play caller facilitator. I mean, he's really doing a whole lot of play calling. That's actually a pretty funny statement to make. That that's almost what they did, right? In in some regards, they had thirty seven passing yards on Saturday, and again, thirty thirty six of those yards came in the first eighteen minutes of gameplay. I think it's Air Force that's actually becoming pretty proficient at throwing the ball. Army is the ball. Army is too. Yeah. Army's throwing the ball a little bit more than they. Yeah. Well, they throw the ball more than Air Force and and Navy. Yeah. Navy. I posted today. Navy, Pitt, Iowa, the three teams in America that have not completed fifty percent of its passes. But uh, the other two don't have Iowa's defense and special teams. Right. <laughs> so, there you go. And and. They don't have Kirk Ferentz as a coach. I think he's got to be given due credit for whatever the magic formula is there. Besides just having really good, two really good units, there is something else in how they coach that they figured out a formula to win with a schedule like this to win against almost everyone until you reach an elite opponent. That's a discussion for another day. Now, if I wanted to play punch counter punch, I could say, well, one of those other two teams has a coach who's won a conference championship in the last 20 years. What do I care about Pitt? I didn't say you cared about them, but I'm just claiming, just stating that they won a conference championship two seasons ago. Okay. Well, and they took a nosedive when they lost their quarterback. So fair. Well, uh, actually they didn't, they went nine and four. They won a bowl game last year. They did fine last year. What are they now? They've, they've, 
declined since since Pickett left, correct? Yeah. In general. After Keaton Slovis left. Anyway. Yeah. All right, folks. Appreciate you being here. Uh, Corey, Coach Patterson, after the game, uh, either here from the Hawkeye of the Storm, that's a place to get your Iowa football coverage every day. And we will see you back ne- here next Tuesday.